This episode contains mature content that may not be suitable for young listeners. Content may be an emotional trigger for victims of abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Some names in our story have been changed to protect identity. So here's the thing. You ever been watching a movie and you're at home, you were a teenager, you're watching this movie and the movie's great and it's fantastic and... Then your mom or dad walk in, and when do they walk in? It's during, like, the only sex scene in the entire movie, and it is so awkward. You're like, are you kidding me? Like, you could have come in at any other moment, and there would have been no issues. Well, I just want to promise our listeners that you are not going to have that moment today. Yeah, this episode is called The Sex Industry, but we promise. We're not aiming to be awkward or inappropriate or anything like that. Yeah, and in fact, uh, the story you're about to hear, it's actually one of the most unbelievably supernatural stories that I have ever heard. And it all starts with a woman named Rochelle Starr. I served at everything because I was a pastor's kid. I did, I led worship. I served at missions trips. I led Bible studies, different things like that. So I was always in leadership of some sort. Growing up, Rochelle spent a lot of time in church. But now as an adult, Rochelle finds herself spending a lot of time inside a very different building. So I found myself on the floor of a strip club washing this woman's feet that her feet were cut. They were bruised. They were calloused. They were dirty. And I'll never forget. I looked up at her and she was just weeping. You're listening to the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Kevin Jones. Every episode, we hear stories of social justice and Christian community. Today's episode, where the gospel meets the sex industry. We're going to hear just what led a pastor's kid to dedicate spending the rest of her life backstage at strip clubs. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. In 2014, Christianity Today published an article called Would Jesus Hang Out in a Strip Club? And the three writers of that article had mixed answers to that question. But at the heart, what they were asking was this. What are the appropriate boundaries of following God? Yeah, that's a question Jesus' peers even asked themselves when they saw Jesus in flesh and blood. The gospel gives continual accounts of Jesus being questioned for his actions. One of those accounts is found in the gospel of Mark. Jesus has just called Levi, a tax collector, to follow him. And Levi invites Jesus over to his house. And of course, Levi then in turn invites all of his friends over as well. They have a big party at his place. The Pharisees, well, they're offended by this. Chapter 2, verse 16 says, The scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Turns out the religious leaders of the day, they were appalled at Jesus because of who he was spending time with. Yeah, and actions like this really didn't help Jesus' religious PR. Jesus was accused of being a drunkard, being a glutton. It affected his reputation. So why do it? What in the world is to be gained from hanging out with all of these questionable people? What's to be gained from pushing the boundary this far? Well, as it turns out, something miraculous. But to get to the miraculous, we have to first begin with the unmiraculous, which is where we find Rochelle at the start of our story. I was working at an advertising marketing agency in Louisville. By most standards, Rochelle's life was going well. She graduated college, she got married, got a good job, but she was feeling 
sort of empty. And I was driving into work and I would pray, God, just what is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? I want to know what you want to use me for. Well, for the previous year or two, Rochelle would come home from work and she would just cry. This is Rochelle's husband, Josh. And she would ask the Lord, hey, what is my purpose? Like, I don't feel like I have a purpose. Rochelle spent more than a year with this feeling of aimlessness. And then, on a very ordinary day on her very ordinary commute to work, this thing happened. And it seemed very small at first, but it ended up changing the rest of her life. So I was driving down the road, and um, the Lord spoke to me. She doesn't mean that she heard God's voice, not audibly anyway, but somewhere deep inside of her, she felt God tell her something very distinct. I was passing the Theater X at the exact time that he spoke to me. Theater X, it's an adult entertainment store. She would pass it every day on her way to work. Outside of the store, there are tons of posters of scantily clad women and uh, lots of signs enticing you to come in. And she had passed this building hundreds of times. But this time, God had something to say. And he said, I want you to go to women in the sex industry, and I want you to go and share my love with those ladies. And so I immediately called Joshua and said, God has called me to go to women in the sex industry. And not just the sex industry in general, Rochelle felt called specifically to go to women working in strip clubs. So whenever she came to me and she asked, what do you think about bringing the gospel into the strip club? I thought, yes, let's do it. Like God is giving Rochelle this direction that she's desperately wanted for so long. And he was like, that's exactly what Jesus would do. So her husband was on board. They spoke with some of their friends and they were on board. So now what? God told her to love women in the sex industry, but what does that even mean? You know, we had identified the strip clubs in Louisville. We had said, okay, this is where they're at. This is how many there are. Louisville has 28 strip clubs, which is the most of any city in Kentucky. We had been praying outside of them, just saying, God, open the door. We weren't praying things like shut this building down or, you know, any condemnation whatsoever. It was just open the doors to them in their hearts. Rochelle spent a year preparing and trying to figure out what reaching women in the strip clubs would look like. She gathered information and sought advice. And I had been researching and studying and praying and trying to figure out, okay, God, you've called me to this. Now what? And how do I do it? And I just felt God say, stop. I am with you. I have called you. Now go. It was time to cross the threshold. If Rochelle was going to reach these women, she had to go where they were. And they weren't in statistics or research or social media campaigns. They were inside the clubs. But Rochelle knew enough to know she wasn't going to strip clubs for fun or recreation. She had a purpose, which also meant she needed a plan. So Rochelle and some of her friends decided that they would get together and they would make some meals. And then they would share these meals with the dancers in the club. And the hope was that these meals could be a natural way to start getting to know the dancers in the club. This is weird. Insane. I'm still hung up on the fact that God directly told her to do this. First of all, who in the right mind would go to a strip club? I mean, from a moral standpoint, it's almost something people would borderline call ungodly. And her plan is to walk into the strip club with a bunch of food. I hope it was fried chicken. Like, what in the world? I mean, is that even allowed? Who takes fried chicken and macaroni and cheese into a strip club? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. She didn't know if she was allowed. I mean, it was there was only one way to find out, and that was to go ask. Ask? Who was she supposed to ask? 
she's supposed to knock on the door and tell security, hey, I have food. Can we bring food in? She's supposed to go to a bouncer and say, hey, excuse me, Mr. Bouncer. We have food. Me and my Christian friends have food we want to bring into the strip club. Like, I, I, can, will they let you in? Probably not. I know it sounds crazy, uh, but one night Rochelle and her friends, they all piled in a car. And for the first time ever, they went out to a strip club. I had three other friends with me. And on the way to the club, we prayed the entire time. Our husbands also went with us to pray out in the parking lot. I was nervous because I didn't know what would happen. Like, I know they were going in there to say, we love you, we love Jesus, we have food. But I didn't know the outcome of it. Their husbands went along as a precaution. They were going to wait in the car and pray while Rochelle and her friends went into the club. We get to the club. We say goodbye to our husbands. They wait in the car across the parking lot. Rochelle and her friends pay $10 at the door. And then they walk into the strip club. And it's very dark, and it's there's pictures, risque pictures all over the wall. There's mirrors everywhere. And immediately, a bouncer comes up to me and says, oh, you all probably want drinks. And so he escorts us through a sex paraphernalia shop into another side of the building. It's actually against the law to have alcohol and nudity in the same space. So the dancing area is separate from the bar area. So they escorted us to the bar side. There's mirrors all around. It's very dark and small even. There's booths everywhere. There's one stage. There's probably five or six ladies in there, plus a bartender and then several men around in this part. And so we sit down and, um, you know, from a naivety standpoint, I'm wearing a turtleneck and no makeup and I want to be as unassuming as possible. But really, I st- we all stood out like <laughs> sore thumbs. It was awful. I'm just dying at the image of you in the turtleneck. Hey, anybody want to hit the strip club tonight? Hey, I got a new turtleneck. Thought we'd head out. Despite Rochelle's choice of clothing, the woman working at the bar assumes Rochelle and her friends are there looking for a job. Because really, that's the main reason women ever come into the clubs. So Rochelle tries to explain why they're there. Jesus had sent us to do something kind of loving for the women in the club. Could we bring a home cooked meal? And she said, you know, oh, no, that's definitely, you can't, you guys can't do that. And she thought it was really weird. That's, it is weird. You come in the turtleneck and then we're here to share the love of Jesus with women and bring food. And I mean, she probably thinks you're insane. Pretty much. She was like these crazy ladies. I was so sure that God was calling us there that it was like, it honestly didn't stop us. So what ended up happening from that point on was we decided to go back to the other side of the bar where we actually went in. And that was the dancing side. So there's multiple stages. There's, you know, VIP booths. It's got lots of lights and loud music and lots of men everywhere. Okay, so at this point, Rochelle and her friends, they are hoping for a miracle. And in case you don't think this whole thing is weird enough, it is actually about to get way weirder. In fact, it is about to get straight up supernatural. We went in and we sat at a high top table with four seats. And I was sitting across from my friend Sarah and she was talking to me because we were trying to also act, I hate to say this, but like, we were just trying to not stare at the ladies to be objectifying or anything like that. So we were like, let's just talk to each other until we figure out a game plan. I don't know what we were thinking, really. But 
so she's talking to me about just something, not life, I guess. And um, I can't hear her. All I can hear is God saying, get up and go over to this man. In the middle of her sentence, I stand up. I walk straight over to a man that I'd never met in my life. There was dozens of men in the club. Okay, so this man is sitting at this booth and he's got women on both sides of him. And there is nothing that is distinct about this guy from any other guy that's in the whole club. He looks just like everybody else. But turns out this is the exact guy that Rochelle needs to talk to. And I said, hi, I'm Rochelle. I'm not here for a job. I'm here because Jesus sent me here to do something kind and loving for the women in this club. Can I bring a home-cooked meal in? And his face was so, like, shocked. The man opens his mouth, and he introduces himself. And get this. He's the owner of the club. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Ifama from Austin, Texas. I made an impact on women in the sex industry by serving for a year with Love Thy Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship in Christian community, visit lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. You're listening to the Love the Neighborhood podcast. I'm Kevin Jones. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Today's episode is where the gospel meets the sex industry. Rochelle Starr is trying to figure out how to bring the gospel to women in the adult entertainment industry. And right now, she and her friends are inside a strip club for the very first time. And Rochelle has just introduced herself to a man who turned out to be the owner of the club and asked him if she could bring a meal to the dancers. Jesus has sent me here to do something kind and loving for the women in this club. Can I bring a home-cooked meal in? And he did not quite know how to receive her request. I mean, he he was just completely shocked. And instead of just shutting me down and saying, no, that's crazy, get out of here, he asked me, what's the catch? And I said, you know, there is really no catch. I, I don't have any other agenda. Rochelle wanted to give a meal to the dancers and not receive anything in return. Well, this had the owner intrigued. From that, it was about an hour and 45 minutes that we talked to him and spent time getting to know why is he in this business? How many ladies work here? What is this business like? And the whole time, it sort of feels like he's going to say no any second that he's going to tell Rochelle and her friends to get out of his club and to stop wasting his time. But after a long conversation, he finally makes up his mind. Yes. Yeah, you can. So now, once a week, This pastor's kid was hanging out backstage at a strip club with a home-cooked meal for each of the women who worked there. That's insane. Like, that's ridiculous. What do they do backstage? What do the club owner think? What do the bouncers think? What do the dancers think? Tell, Tell me what happened. Well, what happened was that the dancers didn't understand why she was there. Are you here to poison us? Are you here to tell us how we're going to hell? Those were my first conversations in the clubs. I would eat with them. To, to make sure that they knew we weren't poisoning their food. And it was countless times that I had to reassure them, like, 
No. That's not why I'm here. And I would say, how are you? And it would be the strangest face back to me, like, why are you asking how I am? And the situation wasn't just odd inside the club. It looked strange from outside the club as well. Uh, This particular night, it was uh, probably 1 or 2 a.m. That's Rochelle's husband, Josh, again. Remember, he and the other husbands would still drive to the club every week and wait in the car and pray while their wives went inside. And I had had to... Uh, use the restroom really, really bad. And we're in a parking lot. And so there's nowhere that I could and there's no restaurant open or whatever. So I went to the side of the building and just peed on the side of the building. Uh, Well, apparently the owner of that building thought I was casing the joint to break in or whatever. And so I get back in the car and like literally 20 minutes later, two police officers buzzed on both sides of our cars and they yell at us, get out of the car. Uh, So I get out and one of the police officers like draws his gun and says, don't you run, boy. (laughs) And so I thought, I'm not running. I'm standing right here. Um, And we, of course, explained, hey, our wives are in the strip club and they're giving a meal to the dancers. We love Jesus. They love Jesus. And, And the police officers weren't buying it. And so they had to ask um, me to tell Rochelle to come out and corroborate the story. And they said, if, you know, Rochelle comes out and she looks like a dancer, then we're going to know you're lying and we're taking you to jail. Thankfully, Rochelle had her cell phone on her. So Josh called her. She came outside. She was not dressed like a dancer. And she explained everything to the cops. Yeah, she probably had on that turtleneck again. Maybe Jesus should have wore a turtleneck all the time, too. And maybe people wouldn't have accused him when he was hanging out with sinners. Maybe the Pharisees would have just left him alone. <laughs> Okay, so, well, as if this whole scenario isn't strange and confusing enough, uh, to make matters worse, turns out some of the dancers, flat out, they did not like Rochelle and her friends. Did not like them. Because I felt like they was taking what I knew all my life, you know, away from me. That's Natalie, a dancer in the club. She quickly figured out Rochelle and her friends were Christians. And so far, what Natalie had seen of Christians is that they acted fine on Sunday, but lived just like her on Monday. I would go to church and they'll be praising the Lord. Then I see them at night, they're in the club. And I'm talking about deacons, preachers, ushers, just all type of people. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm seeing her doing wrong. They are too, so what makes it better? Hold on, Jess. Can we back up for a sec? Okay. I know how Rochelle got into the club with her turtleneck and food. But what brings someone like Natalie into the club? Why is she there in the first place? Like, What led her in her life to end up working at a strip club? Yeah, that's, that is actually a great question. And I think to answer that, actually, what we need to do is first we need to look at the sex industry as a business. In the United States, the sex industry, it is a multi-billion dollar business. It makes $3.1 billion a year. That is billion with a B. Okay, so Kevin, I want you to guess how much money do you think a dancer in a club makes each year? Just just take a guess. Oh, club dancer. In a year, $35,000. Okay, that is totally possible. It is also very possible to make more than that. So guess again. 55. School teacher salary. 55. Uh, more. $75,000. Okay, so if we go and we type in stripper on payscale.com salary calculator... Earnings in the United States can range from $20,000 all the way up to more than $100,000. 
Okay, to put that in perspective, that is the same average salary of a computer programmer or a nuclear engineer. That's insane. If you didn't know the Lord and were desperate for money, that'd be pretty difficult to turn down. Yeah, I mean, you've got to imagine these ladies are coming in and oftentimes they are just teenagers and they look around their neighborhoods and their families they know. They're probably never going to make six figures. They're probably never going to get the opportunity to go get higher education. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes along and they give them a job opportunity where they can make as much money as somebody that went to Stanford. I mean, that is enticing. And that is exactly what got Natalie into the clubs. When Natalie was just 13 years old, her grandma got diagnosed with cancer. And the medicine the doctors prescribed, it was expensive. Natalie's family didn't have the money to buy it, and Natalie loved her grandmother, and she hated seeing her sick. So Natalie found out how to make some money. So I end up calling a couple of my friends to see, you know, if I can get an ID. They said I was 18 to go to the strip club because that's where I knew I was going to make the most money. Natalie started dancing as a means to pay for her grandma's medicine. But as time went on, Natalie had a child and then another. And eventually she had four kids to provide for. And as any parent knows, raising kids, it's expensive. So Natalie kept dancing. I've been dancing 18 years. And no kidding, I was a legend in the club. I mean, I danced three generations. So you got to think that I danced with people, you know, now that's 50 and 60. Then turn around and I'm dancing with their kids. And then I turn around and start dancing with their grandkids. I mean, I have been in jail over 43 times. Um, I had caught attempted murder, robbery, kidnapping. Um, you know, I was hard. I was a single mother, no income, no nothing. You know, my income was my body. That was it. That was my income. If I sold myself, I would make money. If I go work real hard and dancing, I would go make money. And I felt like that's all I was good for. One of the realities for these women working in the clubs is the message they hear their whole life. And they either hear it directly from men or it's just kind of implicit in the culture around them. And that's that their worth is really only in their physical body. And that's really their only contribution to society. This was certainly true for Larissa, another worker in the sex industry. I was young. I was 16. And I had a boyfriend that was encouraging me to do it. So when Larissa was a teenager... One day, she and her boyfriend are hanging out in the parking lot of this hotel, and this guy pulls up, and it's a friend of theirs, and he ends up making this really odd proposal. Hey, Larissa, you know, you're really pretty. You know, occasionally, if you would just have sex with some guys, they'd pay you for it. And Larissa's boyfriend thinks, well, we're broke. We should do this. Larissa wants to make her boyfriend happy, and so she agrees and goes along with it. At the time, like, I had an alter ego. I would not go by my name, I went by a different name. In the adult entertainment industry, women take on these names that are not their actual names. And it's equal parts marketing, but it's also a persona. They go to work and they put on these personas like a costume. They're trying to have some psychological defense against these terrible things that they are engaging in on a daily basis. I would associate myself with that. You know, when I was doing that, that's I was in like my glamorous mode and I was just a different person. And then I was, but other times the mom, you know, it was two totally different people. 
Well, then eventually she actually ends up getting pregnant by her boyfriend. And even though they break up, she now has a baby to provide for. She's a mom. And as she looked around, the only job she knew how to do was this one. It is a lot to process because, you know, you're dealing with multiple different men and some of the things that these guys say and ask you to do and they're married. It's just a nasty world. And just like Natalie, Larissa believed her body was the only thing she was good for. Because that was put in my head by pimps and guys that this is all a man will ever want from you. Either you're going to give it away for free or you're going to get paid for it. Yeah, you know, Jess, as I listen to Natalie and Larissa, I can't help but to think about my own daughters. I mean, you've got daughters, too, right? Yeah, I, I have one daughter and she's nine years old. I have an eight year old and a three year old, man. And I'm just sitting here thinking if Kennedy or Carson said, hey, 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 dad, you know, I'm, I, I want to sell my body. All I'm worth is is selling my body like that. That's despicable. It's unbelievable. I don't, it's, it's, it's unimaginable. So what do you, what do you do with a young lady who has all she's ever heard, maybe from 10 on up in her early teen years on up? Hey, you're so beautiful. You know, your body's so fine. And then couple that with the need for money, couple with enticement by a boyfriend or other guy friends or the female friends. You got, you got the perfect storm, man. So, so now the question is, what do you do for a woman in that spot? Yeah, that that is actually a, a great question, Kevin. So Rochelle and her friends, they have warm meals, which is good. Everybody needs substance for the body. But but how how is Rochelle and her friends going to actually give them the substance they really need to get out of the strip club? And when we come back, we're going to hear from one of Rochelle's volunteers. And she was wondering the exact same thing. I, I mean, OK, if you've got somebody that is so blind that they want to be in a strip club, what in the world do you tell them? Stay with us. Hi, this is Tessa from Reston, Louisiana. I made an impact on women in the sex industry by serving for a summer with Love That Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship in Christian community, visit lovethatneighborhood.org and apply today. Welcome back to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Kevin Jones. Today's story, where the gospel meets the sex industry. We're about to hear from one of the volunteers who goes into the clubs to find out how in the world do you help these ladies. But before we do that, we're going to fast forward through time. So here's where we are right now. Rochelle and her friends are just going into one club once a week. But word gets out, and over the years, more and more ladies want to join Rochelle in her efforts. So they get more and more volunteers, which means they can visit more and more clubs in Louisville. Eventually, Rochelle gives this whole operation a name. She calls it Scarlet Hope. And Scarlet Hope becomes one of the ministry partners to Love Thy Neighborhood. And this is where Allie comes in. Allie served with Scarlet Hope for a summer through Love Thy Neighborhood. Allie had been a college student, and all throughout college, she had heard about the atrocities of sex trafficking and the sex industry, and she wanted to do something about it. The problem was that Allie didn't realize what she had just gotten herself into. This is a good good thing to take note of. Scarlet Hope goes to strip clubs. I actually didn't realize that before I got here, but I went to this club um, and came back and hated it. Allie's about to have her first outreach experience in the club. And she quickly realized she was not at all qualified for this environment. 
this was surreal. This girl comes in, she's a tall girl. Um, she's built like a swimmer. I mean, just big girl, like very, very toned. She comes in and goes, I need anger management. Okay, so you've got to imagine, Ali has never been to a strip club before. Now here she is, and she is backstage at one. It is a small room with a bunch of girls getting ready to go out and dance, a bunch of volunteers from Scarlet Hope. There's cigarette smoke. There's obscenities flying everywhere. Not exactly a ministry moment you want to write home to Grandma about. So I kind of start to walk over there to kind of try to talk to her, and there's like 15 girls in this dressing room that's maybe 10 by 10 feet. I mean, it's tiny. All of a sudden, every explosive you can think of is coming out of her mouth, and she is furious. So at this point, I kind of stop because I, she's upset, and I don't know her, and I don't know how she's going to feel. I don't know if she's intoxicated or not at this point. I'm just a little wary of it. So she starts saying, I'm going to punch somebody in their face. I'm so sick of this. Allie was at a loss. She was able to figure out why this girl was upset, but that was about the best that she could do. From best I understood... There was too many girls on the floor, and she was on the stage and felt like she wasn't making money on the stage because of all the people on the floor. So for me in that moment, number one, I really did think she was going to hit somebody in the face, and I was very close. So, But also, I like the first thing that came to mind was like, I don't know how to tell this, like how to make this girl feel better about this because, you know, I think it's a problem that this is how she's making money, and I don't want to like try to encourage her and be like, well, you still made, you know, such and such money tonight. I mean, so it's a very odd situation because you're sitting there like you are so blind that you are in a strip club and this is the only money that you're making and there's these sick guys out there and they're, you know, you and them might be on drugs right now, but the only thing you can think about is that you didn't think you made enough money that night. So not even a week into her internship and Allie was at a total loss. This club was no place for her. She had no words of wisdom for these dancers. She felt completely out of place. And there was no way she could endure wondering if she could get punched in the face on a weekly basis. Any negative emotion you can feel, I think I felt that night at that club. So I get back and I told my teammates I was never going back to the club. That was awful that I never wanted to do outreach ever again, that it was awful. So Allie did what any of us do when we face that much brokenness and hopelessness. She cried. And then she prayed. So I prayed a lot about it and um, cried a lot about it. And it was crazy. Literally three days later, the Lord was like, that's where I want you to go back. And I was like, you have got to be freaking kidding me. So what was God's grand solution to Allie's problem? Do it again. Show up. And then keep showing up. So out of obedience, that's exactly what Allie did. And she actually ended up going back to that club several more times. And did she ever get punched in the face? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, she did. Sorry to hear that. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't get punched. <laughs> <laughs> so no surprise, she actually did not end up connecting with that dancer again. But she did actually get to know another dancer really well. She was kind of saying she missed church. But she didn't know where to go because she's really had it rough. She got pregnant when she was 18. Um, when she turned 19, she had the twins, um, and they died a couple days later. And now she's working at a strip club. Her mom doesn't actually know. And because she had been obedient and shown up, Allie and the other Scarlet Hope volunteers were able to invite this dancer to church. So she was like, yeah, I'll go. And I was like, okay. And honestly, I didn't believe her. I figured she was just being polite. I mean, I just I thought she was just being nice. So the next Sunday, I call her, and she doesn't come. 
And I was like, okay, I expected that. But I'm, you know, glad I called. I'm glad I connected with her. I guess it was the next really Friday. I texted her and said, are you coming? She never responded. So I was like, okay, well, I won't bother her about it again. Obviously, she doesn't want to come. Well, then that Sunday, I get a call from her. And she's like, hey, what's the address? My mom and my sister are on the way, too. So that Sunday, a strip club dancer and her entire family, surrounded by God's people, came and heard the message of Jesus proclaimed. And maybe that's the answer. Just keep showing up, like Jesus eating with the sinners. Go to the places that make us cry. Go to the places that bring us to our knees. Like, that's the gospel delivered. And that's exactly what Jesus would have done and would have said in Scripture that he did do. Here's Rochelle again. Whenever I began to really know who Jesus was and understand him, he sat with people. He walked with people. He, I mean, his approach to people that were prostitutes was very unconventional. (laughs) And she says this is exactly what keeps her going back to the clubs. You know, a common thing in the industry is for women to leave because it's such a terrible industry to work in, only to come back later because they needed the money. And Natalie, she had actually left the industry several times before this. And like many other women, she would end up going back when things got hard. It was just one night that I was in a club. I had went back because um, we needed $1,500 to get my car out repo. And my husband was so mad at me because I went back to the strip club. And he was like, you know, I'm going to leave you. And, you know, this is not right. You're not doing godly things. And, you know. Over time, this is what the Scarlet Hope ladies have found. When they go in and they build relationships with these women and they show them that they genuinely love them and they genuinely care these women begin to believe that maybe God loves them too. And some of them start to leave the industry for good. I was making plenty of money, plenty of it, but it was just something saying, get out, it's time to go. And I just remember running out the door with my stripper clothes on, my stripper heels, and it was people yelling, sassy, sassy, where you going? I didn't even look back. When I bust out the door, it was just like, freedom. At the beginning of our story, Rochelle went from church building to strip club. And Natalie, she's gone from strip club to joining a church. I thought the whole time you had to be perfect. You had to be, you know, nothing's wrong with you, you know. And I got tired of going into churches where everybody's like, I'm doing well and I'm doing okay and I'm doing this. I got tired of seeing that. I need to go to a church where people's hurting. They need God. They're broken. Life isn't easy for Natalie now that she's left the club. Well, I'm living a sober life. Um, I've never been sober before. Because my whole life I've been on drugs. And coming off of it is like they said coming off of her run. And I'm throwing up, I'm nausea, I can't sleep, can't eat. But I'm sober now. God hasn't given her answers to all of her problems but he's given her people to help her through. You know, my husband came along, and I would never thought, never thought, me, the lady who sold her body to any person who wanted, you know, that I would get married. I just thought I was, my body was done, useless. I mean, I couldn't ask for a better husband, you know? 
And with the Scarlet Hope ladies and her church and her family around her, Natalie knows it's all worth it. And then I gotta take it one day at a time. As long as I look, keep looking up and telling God, just help me, help me. I know it's gonna be better. Amen to that. What about that other girl we talked about? What about Larissa? Yeah, she's also, she's left the industry and she credits that to people continuing to love her. You know, it takes love. It took love for me to stop. It took love for somebody telling me you're better than this. You know, can I pray with you? These girls don't have any love. You know, when you're in society and you don't have the things that are considered normal to society, you know, your clothes aren't clean or you don't have this level of education, you're not accepted by society. And I think that people need to love these girls. And it's not an easy pill to swallow or accept, but these girls need love to help them. You know, Jess, at the end of the story in Mark's gospel that you mentioned earlier, while the religious folks are complaining about Jesus eating with sinners, Jesus actually responds to them in a striking way. He says to them, those who are well and have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. You know, it's those of us that are sick and those of us that are in need, we get to experience God's grace. Like if we have it all together and we have a perfect life, what do we need God for? We don't need God for anything. And Rochelle knows this. And this is also the very reason that women keep responding to her. This woman reached out to us on our website and she wrote us a huge long email saying, you don't see me, but I see you. I'm afraid to come out when you come in because I am so dirty and I'm totally unlovable. And she said, but I see how you come in every single week with a smile on your face and you just coming in to love us. And she's like, I desperately want to reach out to you. And we were like, this is why we do this. If you'd like to learn more about Scarlet Hope, you can visit their website, scarlethope.org. If you'd like more resources on how you can help women in the sex industry with the gospel, you can visit our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. Special thank you to our interviewees for this episode, Rochelle Starr, Josh Starr, Allie Holcomb, and the brave women of Scarlet Hope, Larissa and Natalie. So we're happy to report since we did these interviews with these ladies, both Larissa and Natalie are continuing to do very well. In fact, both ladies were pregnant when we were interviewing them and they both have gone on to have healthy babies. Natalie was able to experience her first drug-free pregnancy and uh, they're still plugged in with Scarlet Hope even now. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-host is the Dr. Kevin Jones. And our producer, technical director, and editor is Rachel Zabo. Additional reporting from Tabitha Mead. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere and Wooden Axel. Apply for your social justice internship, supported by Christian Community, by visiting lovethatneighborhood.org. Serve for a summer or a year, growing your faith and life skills. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise.